Well, what's up, Accelerate Church? How y'all doing today? Come on, y'all happy to be in church today to lift up the name of Jesus? Man, I'm so glad to be here with you guys. My name is Pastor Ernest Grant. For those who I've yet to meet, I serve as the lead pastor here of Accelerate Church. And whether you were driving by, invited by a friend, or whether you found our ad online, we just want to say we're so thankful that you're here. And we're an ethnically and economically diverse church on a quest to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And so what that means is we want to help, help navigate you to take the next best step on your spiritual journey. And one of the ways we can do that, y'all heard me say this before, but you can fill out our Connect card. Give us as much information as you feel comfortable with. And if you take that to our Next Step station immediately after the gathering, uh, not only will we keep you caffeinated by giving you a Starbucks gift card, but we'll donate a dollar to charity on your behalf. So that means you're getting coffee and making a difference as soon as you walk through the door. And so ACTV, can you do me a favor? Put your hands together for all those who are new this morning. Man, I'm also pumped today because, man, my wife is here after maternity leave. Praise the Lord. I love you, baby. It's good to see you. She brought our baby with us, little baby dream. She is like, who, is, who are all these people? I don't, I, we, I've, I've only known five people thus far, and it's been quadrupled who she knows now. So we're just so grateful for her, uh, so thankful. She is, she is really a quiet strength behind the scenes. Uh, a lot of what I'm able to do in public is because she supports me and encourages me in private, and I'm just so thankful for you, baby. It's good to see you, and you look good. I'm going to send you a risky text later. I'm just trying. I'm playing, but not playing. I'm playing, but not playing. Man, listen, I'm pumped. I'm pumped today. Listen, uh, we're just, just a quick commercial, because y'all know I do commercials. We have, not only do we have growth track after service, uh, for those who want to make this their church home, uh, it's a three-step process to help you get connected, help you discover your purpose, and get on a team that corresponds. But I'm also pumped because we have cruise season coming up soon in February. Crews are groups of five to 15 people that get together on a regular basis uh, to do life with one another, to cultivate relationships. You're going to hear more information about that. And uh, I'm going to rush through this one because I'm ready to preach. Uh, but we have a relationship sermon series collection kicking off around Valentine's Day. It's called Love Handles. Isn't that? That's a great name, right? It's a great hand. A great name. We're going to try to help you get a grip on love, sex, and dating. And so uh, this is one of those series where I think it's going to be pivotal for some of us. A lot of us have complicated relationships in our lives. And I want to help you uncomplicate them because I think they can be uncomplicated with some clear boundaries and some clear communicated expectations. So that's going to be a great thing. But let me pray, and then we're going to jump back into our sermon collection, Simple Money, Rich Life. Dear Jesus, thank you that we can, thank you for being our hiding place, our safe refuge. Lord, we really give you glory and honor for this, Lord. And I'm thankful that we get the opportunity yet again to come into this place and worship freely to lift up our voices and to honor you and to extol you above all things. Lord, we pray that you will bless us during this time. Uh, may this word encourage some people in here to take the next steps in their journey through generosity. And so, Lord, we love, cherish, and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're jumping back into our sermon collection. And the name of this collection is Simple Money, Rich Life. And the basic premise is this, that God wants us to be free from financial anxiety, that it is not God's desire that any of us live in such a way that we are constantly worried by money. So what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks 
is teach you some steps or give you some tips or some principles that are backed by the scripture to help you firstly save all that you can. Then last week we talked about the importance of making all that you can and earning or increasing your financial earning potential. And this week I want to preach the third of the fourth one, and that is give all that you can. Give all that you can. Now, now when we think about giving through the local church, there's a common question that typically arises, and, it me- and it's this. Does giving our God our first and our best lead to the positive outcomes and the blessings that the Bible promises? I- if I give generously to God, is there a guarantee that God is going to bless me because of my obedient generosity? W- when I give to the local church, is it going, like we try to make it a lot more complex than that, But the truth is, is we want to know that if I give, is it going to be given to me, pressed down, shaken together, falling on our lap? Is that going to happen? Well, I would say that one of the ways that we can do this as a church is by testing God. By testing God. This is what he says in Malachi 3, verse 10. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, I w- if I will not open up the window of heaven for you and pour out a blessing until there is no more need. Now, in context, this is part of a larger group of passages. That's where God is writing to his children, Israel. And he's writing to them and letting them know that, hey, you have been unfaithful to me. You've been divorcing your spouses without just justifiable cause. You've been offering blind sacrifices on the altar to me instead of giving me your first and the best. And I'm calling you to repent of your wicked ways. And one of the things that you've been doing that's very wicked is you've been withholding the tenth of your income from me. But he says, I'm calling you back to generosity here and calling and and calling you to repent. And I promise you this. Put me to the test that if you are generous with me and you give me the tithe, which is mine, I promise that I will open up the window of heaven and I will give you a blessing so big. I love that the the way the King James explains it so big, so magnanimous that you will not have room to receive it. He says, put me to the test. He's saying this is not an, an invitation to doubt God's goodness, but this is a recommitment of ourselves to be generous. And God tells us that if we are obedient to him, that he's going to bless us. This is his promise here, seen throughout the scripture. Now, we know this in theory, don't we? But many of us struggle with us or struggle to put this into practice. And this is an issue all throughout Christendom. We want and desire to be generous, but the truth is is that we don't always exude generosity. And we only have to look at some of the statistics. Can I run through a few of them for you? Can I do it? And you won't. I'm going to preach good later, but let me just give you some stuff. Okay, is that okay? Listen, listen to these statistics regarding our generosity. Three to five percent of Jesus followers in the United States tithe. Three to five percent. When I talk about tithe, I'm talking about giving ten percent. Seventy-five to eighty percent of Jesus followers give less than two percent of their income. The average amount that people, that churchgoers give is $17 per week. 
of the families making $75,000 or more, 1% of them give 10% of their income. And people making $20,000 or less are more than eight times more likely to give than someone making an annual income of $75,000. Heroin statistics, aren't they? But, but, but listen to this. If followers of Jesus decided that they were going to be generous and give, listen to some of the things that would happen. We would have an additional $139 billion in income to fund mission. You can put that graphic up there. $139 billion. Get this. We would have $25 billion to relieve global hunger and preventable disease. You can pop that up on the screen for me. We would have $15 billion that would help solve the water and sanitation crisis in the world. We would have $12 billion to end illiteracy. We would have $1 billion to fund all overseas missions, and then we would still have behind $100 to $110 billion left for additional ministry expansion so that we can reach our friends and family who are far away from Jesus. Can I bring it closer to home for a second, church? Can I bring it closer to home? If all of the members and friends of Accelerate Church tithed, we would have the opportunity to triple what we do in ministry right now. We would have the ability to do that. Now, I don't, I, I don't want you to think for one second, particularly from people from churches where you were coerced into giving. I'm not coercing you into giving. I'm just simply stating the facts. I want you to see the facts because you cannot come up with a solution if you don't adequately understand or address the problem. Right? Let me just state, let's, let's, let me just state that out front. Uh, there won't be any $20 offering lines after this. I'm not going to be passing the plate. I just simply want us to understand where we are, okay? Now, the question is, is why do we know in theory that we should be generous, but why do we struggle in practice? And I would say one of the reasons we struggle in practice is not because we're cheap, because many of us do give lavishly to other things. But I think one of the reasons that many of us struggle to be generous is because giving feels like a loss. It doesn't feel like, if we're honest, that we're gaining anything. In fact, when we give, sometimes it feels like it's robbing us of something that we desire to have or think we need. But on top of that, it prevents us from doing something that we may really want to do because that extra money that we gave could have gone a far way to our happy hour. Preach, Ernest Grant. It could have helped us with our target run. In other words, if we, don't, if we give... Is holding us back from giving or holding us back from participating in what we perceive that we need. But on top of that, the reason that it feels like a loss sometimes is because we're emotionally attached to our money. And it's because, let's be honest, we work hard for the money. We work hard for it. And it's hard to part ways with something that you value when you've worked hard for it. But I would say the one of the biggest reasons it feels like a loss is because many of us in this building know what it's like to be coerced into giving. Someone or some organization use a, a very creative shtick, did they not, 
they appealed to your emotions, they gave you heartwarming stories, they gave you celebrity endorsements, and it was designed to woo your hearts so that they can get into your wallets. So anytime now that giving is bought up, even in the local church, it's a negative association with it. So anytime it's bought up, it, what it does is it triggers hesitation. But here's what I want to let you know, that if the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that if the God who promises that if you give, I will give it to you, pressed down, shaken together, poured on your lap, if he, if he is the God of all, he does not want giving to feel like a loss. He wants it to feel like a gain. That you are receiving something, that you are participating in helping us reach people who are far from Jesus, and on top of that, you are getting an eternal ROI, if you will. And so, I'm assuming that we want to be generous, do we not? And don't worry, I'm going to get spicy later, real spicy. Don't worry, I got some spicy stuff in here. I'm going I'm to tell you so much about the finances of this church, you are going to be like, that's enough, Pastor. So just give, me, just give me five minutes to get there. And so, I'm sure that we all want to be generous, but let me give us five principles so that we can be blessed givers, I mean joyful givers, and experience the blessed life. Are you ready for the first principle? First principle is this, cosmic ownership principle. The cosmic ownership principle. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2 says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. Oh, that's King James. Let, let me give you CSB. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to who? He is the foundation of the seas and established the rivers. Did you catch that? He start, the psalmist starts right here, and he says that everything was created by God. That means that animate and inanimate objects, human, animals, amoeba, unicellular organisms, multicellular organisms created by God. This, create, this means the air in your lungs, the blood in your veins, the hairs on your body or on your head, all of those things belong to God. Some of y'all are like, well, Jesus, you can take some of them hairs back. But furthermore, what we learn is God shapes everything. He makes everything, and he sustains everything as well. Everything, as we learn in Colossians 1, everything is made by him, for him, and through him. So that means that he's the source of creation, the agent of creation, and the sustainer of creation. Which is amazing that could, because it means that if Jesus is the sustainer of the creation, it's amazing that he was, still hold it, he was still able to hold it all together while he was dying on the cross. That ain't in the notes, but it was really exciting. And so if God is the owner of all things, then that means that the other side of the equation is true as well. That God owns everything, so that means that you and I own nothing. Doesn't it stand to reason that? If God is the owner, then it means that you and I are not the owner. So what are we? It leads us to our second point, the stewardship principle. Second point, the stewardship principle. Since he's the owner, that makes you and I the stewards. Or the managers. Now you're saying, well, pastor, what exactly do you mean by manager? A manager is someone entrusted with financial resources, talents, and opportunities given by God, and they are expected to use them responsibly according to God's will. Okay? Does that make sense? 
And so get this. Firstly, he establishes that he owns everything. Secondly, he establishes that it is him who allows us to, he empowers us to both gain wealth and manage wealth. And if you allow somebody to manage your finances, guess what? You want to make sure that they are managing it well. Right? We learned this from the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 that there were some servants that were given uh, a talent or some salary or some money, and the only servant that was challenged by Jesus was the one that mismanaged what belonged to God. So this should compel us to ask a question, is are we managing God's money well? How do you know if you're asking managing God's money well? Well, number one, you manage it in the best interest of the owner, not the steward. Right. It means that I'm managing my money in a way that is pleasing to God, not simply pleasing to myself. It also means that I renounce my sense of entitlement over the money because it's not mine to own, but it has been given to me as a source to manage. Good stewards always ask, what are the priorities of the owner of things so that I know that I'm managing it in accordance to their will and desires. I don't know if you've ever invested before, but if you have a financial advisor that does what they want to do with your money, you got the wrong financial advisor. They should make sure they put your monies into accounts that match what you are trying to accomplish, whether that be exponential growth, steady growth. Why? Because it's the money that's been given to you. You've, been give, you've given that money to them to manage, not to be the owner of. Does that make sense? And so this is what happens when we see in corporate America with embezzlement and we see people misappropriating funds. Well, in some ways, God could say that we have been embezzling his money. Let me not say that. Let me not go there. I'll, I'll get there later. I'll get there later. Not too many hard things at the same time. This is a nice one, okay? No, it's not. Uh, The heart principle. The heart principle. The heart principle is this. It means wherever you put your money, your heart is going to follow as well. Right? This This is what Martin Luther, one of the reformers, said. He said, show me where a man spends his time and his money, and I will show you his God. What he's saying is that a lot of us say, oh, God, I love you and I trust you. Oh, Lord, oh, hallelujah, I believe in you. But do your savings say that you believe in God? Do your financial transactions say that you believe in God? So in other words, we can claim in one sense that we trust God and that we love him, but in another sense, our heart is following something in a different direction. And this is why Jesus says this. This is why he mentions the money and preaches about this more than anything else in the Bible because he wants us to know that one's financial transactions, bank accounts, credit statement, credit card statements, receipts reveal our true heart. I don't know about you, but I invested in crypto when it started to pop off. And I got this thing called Dogecoin. Anybody know about that in here? Anybody invested in crypto? Hands up. Hands up. Nobody. All right. So nobody. You know what? I'm going to skip this illustration. Not even important. What, I'm, what I was basically saying in this illustration was that when I was invested in Dogecoin, I checked it every day. When I got rid of it, I didn't check it anymore. That's what I was trying to say. Case in point. There we go. Since none of y'all <laughs> know what I'm talking about. All right. Let me give you your fourth principle. The fourth principle is the trust principle. Let me say, somebody say trust principle. Trust principle. This is what it says. We just sang this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and lean not to your own understanding. Here's what we know. Here's what I know. Is that most followers of Jesus desire to reap the benefit of obedient generosity. But the problem that we have with this is this issue of trust. Right? We trust, right? So get this. Well-meaning Christians can profess to believe in Jesus, come to church, serve on the dream team, uh, go through growth track, but they can fundamentally or functionally trust something else. We can say that we trust God for our security, but we really trust our job for our security. We can say that our self-esteem is, is, is ripened or strengthened because of God, but the truth is it's not. It's really the likes that we get on the socials. We can say that I feel cared for most by God, but functionally, we're really cared for the most by our relationship of friends. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem with putting your trust in relationships, functionally trusting your relationships, wealth, and careers more than trusting God, is that you are expecting them to fulfill a role that they are unable to do. Like, you should have good relationships. That's why we're starting crews. You should have good relationships with people that are going in the same spiritual direction. But here's the thing. If you use them as your only source of encouragement and your only source of well-being, they will never live up to the expectation. And the reason I say this is because many of us have this type of trust in money. We say we trust God, but we really find our trust in our financial resources. But let me just tell you, I was reading this article on The Guardian the other day by a psychologist that meets with the super rich. And you know what he said is a common thread with all the super rich? They are miserable. They're miserable. You know why? Because the more money you make, the more opulent your wealth, of course, the more problems come, but it becomes difficult to establish genuine relationships. It becomes difficult because you become bored trying to chase the next high in life. On top of that, many of them felt guilty because they never exposed their kids to the real world, so they were riddled with guilt and anxiety. But I think the big thing is, is that money falls short of its offerings. Money says, I can give you comfort, and I can give you security, and I can help you influence outcomes and solve problems. But here's the thing, there are some things that money simply cannot do. Money cannot heal your heart after a broken relationship. Money cannot give you meaningful relationships. I don't know about you, but no matter how much money you have, it cannot secure you a clean bill of health. It can't do that. One thing it cannot do is soothe the pain of rejection or ease the pain of heartbreak or bring you back from the brink of depression. Money can't do any of those type of things. But the biggest thing that money cannot do is it cannot cover the eternal debt that you and I owe to God. It, it would have taken us an eternity to pay it back. But because money is limited and finite, it could not address our spiritual debt. The only way it could get covered is because Jesus was the bridge between God's perfection and our imperfection. He, he was willing to come to earth. He was willing to live a sinless life, to sacrifice himself on the cross of Calvary, to reconcile us back to the Father and cover our spiritual debt. And with the subsequent resurrection that happens three days later, he tramples over death, he destroys sin, and he offers us forgiveness and eternal life. So you and I are no longer bound to our spiritual, uh, to spiritual debt. So here's what I want to let you know, friends. 
is that there are some things that money cannot buy, and that's why the proverb writer says, trust in the Lord. Because money will fail you each and every time. Now, somebody might say, Pastor, I'm learning to grow in my trust for the Lord. But you just said, Pastor, that I need to be a good steward of the financial resources in my hand, right? And I need to make sure that I'm investing the finances in my hand in accordance to God's principles and accordance to God's will. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. But how do I know that you're in with you inviting me to give to Accelerate Church that I can make sure that my money is being invested in the right areas? Because, Pastor, if I can speak for you, I've heard all the horror stories. I've heard about pastors mis-embezzling money and misappropriating funds. I've seen them take an offering one week and drive a Bentley the next week. I've seen them mismanage money. So here's what I want to know, Pastor. Where does the money actually go? Because the people online tell me that it's going in the pastor's pocket. And the staff is using it to spend money um, extravagantly on trips and breakfasts and dinners with their spouse. And plus, I've seen all the documentaries on Hulu about Hillsong and all the other churches. So where exactly does the money go? And how do I know that it's actually making a difference when I give it? I'm glad you asked that question. That's a fantastic question. And let me just, let me, let me start by saying here. If a church talked more transparently about money, I believe people would be more inclined to give it. So I'm going to be transparent with you about the money because we have nothing to hide. But before I get to the money, let's backtrack a little bit. And let me tell you a little bit about the church planting process. Right? Whenever you, a couple wants to start a church, they're either sponsored by a church and or a church planting organization. That church planning organization helps equip them with the skills, the tools, and the financial resources to get started. Does that make sense? And so when Sarah and I believed that we wanted to start this church, the first thing we had to do was go through something called a rigorous assessment. Because financial stewardship does not start with the money that you give. It begins with the characters of the leaders that are leading the church. Okay? And so the first thing that Sarah and I did was we got a psych evaluation where somebody sat down with us and asked us a thousand questions about, their li about our lives. Sarah was good. They told me I had to deal with the grief of losing my mother 10 years ago at that point. I was like, I'm good. I'm, I think I'm good. You know what I'm saying? I've gone to counseling since then. But we had to go through a psych evaluation. Then we had to go through a personality assessment to make sure that we were mentally stable and able to take on the role that God has given us. On top of that, we had to do something that you might be surprised about. It was called a credit, a credit check, that they wanted to look at all of our financial disclosures. We had to disclose our assets and our liabilities. On top of that, we had to write position papers on doctrinal and theological positions. And before Orchard Group, the, a church planning organization that has been planning since 1948, before they gave us the stamp of approval, we had to fly out to Phoenix. We had to preach to a group of assessors where they assessed my sermon where I had to go through references check, plan a service before we even got the approval. So the reason that I bring this up 
is that financial integrity does not start with the money that you give. It begins with the integrity of the people that are actually leading the church. Orchard Group wanted to make sure that we were financially qualified, spiritually mature, and had the adequate gifting in order to launch Accelerate Church. Does that make sense? And so once that happened, they put us on a website and things went great for us. And we had six churches invest in give invest to give us the startup costs. Does that make sense? Because when you first start churches, you don't have any money. You, you don't have any money. But you need equipment, you need a meeting space, you need staff, you need a bunch of different things. So these six churches came alongside us and for the first five years helped us raise in excess of about six hundred thousand dollars. They don't give it to us immediately. They give it to us over a period of time. So as our internal income goes up, their money goes down. Does that make sense? Are y'all with me so far? And so they stay with us for the first five years of the church plant. And they're really helpful because they help us with payroll, accounting, financial records. And Sarah and I sit down with them on a quarterly basis to talk about our family, talk about our staff, and review the profit and loss statement. Is that clear, family? So number one, I want you to know, number one, I think we can establish that number one, your leaders have integrity. Number two, not only do we do what's right, but we have an advisory board looking over every dollar to make sure it's spent in accordance with the budget that we set. Does that make sense? All right, let's get, let's get, let's get real, let's get real to, let's get to it. One of the things they help us with is budgeting. So we had a five-year budget that they gave us initially. But then they said, no, because the church has grown and we're happy with that, let's reestablish the budget. So here's our budget for the year. You can put the number up. This year, our budget is $627,011. Did y'all hear that? $627,011. There'll be a time we'll be 10x this, but this is what it is right now. Right? And so about 75% of that comes internally from your tithes and offering, and then another 25% comes from outside sources. We're hoping that we get that up to 100% internal, and then whatever external we receive is just a cash in the bank. It's just money that we put to save for to be financially healthy, okay? So when you give, your giving goes to one of four categories. The first one is mission. Somebody say mission. Mission is the first 10%. Where, where we encourage you to be tithing members, we know that in order for us to do that, we have to be a tithing church. So for every dollar that comes in the building, 10 cents goes out of the building. And this is what it helps us to do. We're able to plant churches like this one in other areas. We alleviate poverty through Compassion International. We help with national, national disasters through Convoy of Hope. Then we have outreach events like the Suicide Prevention Run the Christmas outreach, and the Thanksgiving outreach. And then we're going to raise money to support teen moms and dad through Young Lives. So every dollar that you give, 10% goes out that way. Does that make sense? Are we clear? All right. We also allocate 20% of that $627,000. That goes to our meeting space. I don't know if you know, but buildings are not cheap. They're not cheap. Not cheap at all, right? So, so we delegate 20%. Now, the reason we love the Marion House is because it's centrally located. It has ample parking. We're, we're, we have good relationship with the landlords, and we'll continue to be here until God opens up a door for something else. 
but we donate, or not donate, but we allocate 20% to that, okay? The fourth one is manpower. We allocate 40% of the funds that you give to manpower. That includes staffing, payroll, insurance, and all HR-related costs. Are y'all with me so far? Take a picture of it, too, if you want to, because it's, it, it's all transparent here, right? Now, now staffing-wise, you should have one staff member for about 100 people. Does that make sense? The full-time equivalent. We have about 300 people that come on Sunday mornings. But since people are only coming to church 0.9 times a month, it means that our church could be much, much bigger than that. And so we are actually, so you have one staff member for every 75 to 100 people. So that means we have three people on staff currently. We have myself, Pastor Jacob, and a worship and production director. And then Brooke, who plays a very, very instrumental part on our team, raises the predominantly all of her salary. And then we have a lot of dream teamers here that spend 5 to 15 hours a week serving, and they do so out of the generosity of their heart, and we try to compensate them or take care of them. Does that make sense? Are y'all with me? Y'all didn't think you were walking into a budget meeting, but I'm going to help you, okay? Now, I'm just going to help you. I'm going to help you. Let's kill the narrative that churches are stealing money and taking stuff. That's not what we're doing. Last one is ministry. This goes toward crews, subscriptions, updating equipment, and big days. Like, and this is an us investing into our teams. So here's what I want you to know, that we have tons of oversight, outside accountants, payroll companies, advisory boards, insurance, and we follow all the local and the state laws to make sure that your money here is handled with care. Is this clear? Did y'all get a picture? Okay. All right, the band can come because I'm finished up on this one. But I want you to know that you can take heart and trust that we are doing things in a line with God's will, and so you know exactly where we are. Here's the last principle. It's the first fruits principle. This is what it says in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely empty, I mean, uh, completely filled, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, I don't want you to get lost in the agricultural language here. I don't want you to get lost. Don't get lost in produce and harvest and barns and wine press and all that. But I think the point is unmistakable that God gives you your first and the best. If you give God your first and the best, you will be blessed. Is that clear? Now, the reason that some of us aren't seeing God's obedient, or some of us are not experiencing God's obedient generosity is because we often give him our last and our rest. Or we often give him our leftovers or our scraps. But he says, if you give me your first and the best, I promise you that you will be blessed. And the reason we do this is because our belief in God is most evident in what we do with our money and our possessions. And when we want to honor Lord or, or show great respect to him, we give him the first. And what he promises to do is to bless that so much. Look at what the proverb, look what the proverb says. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. It says, some people give freely and end up with more. Others hold on tightly and become poor. Do you see that? So, friends, what I'm trying to communicate to you is that giving is not a loss. It's actually a gain. And when you give to God, particularly through the local church, you are getting back much more than you can ever imagine or even think, friends. 
Now, let me speak to that person that's not a follower of Jesus right now. Perhaps you're skeptical about the church and you might feel uneasy about me talking about money. Let me just say that money is never given under compulsion, it's never given under guilt, and it's never given under the, sh- the guise of shame. Because the Lord wants a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 7, 9. He wants somebody to know that when you give, I will make sure I bless you. But I think the Bible is clear. He loves a cheerful giver because it's God's response to his generosity to us. And what's God's greatest act of generosity is by him giving us his son on the cross of Calvary. And because he has given us God the Father, God the Father has given us his son generously, we in turn can give generously to God. And on top of that, you can know that your church, Accelerate Church, not only is managing your money with care, but we're doing so in a way that every dollar you give is making an eternal difference in the lives of other people. And so, friends, what I want to tell you is you can save all you can, make all you can, but feel free to give all you can because even when you do all that, God has a way of taking your little fishing loads of your salary, the little few baskets that you have, and feeding 5,000. He could take your money and he can multiply it. He could take that bill or that money that you receive in a month and he can stretch it out. He can cause that raggedy washer, that washer machine that should have died 50, 11 years ago, he can cause it to keep on working. Because God promises that I will bless you if you obediently give. And sometimes it's not just money. Sometimes it's a good night of sleep. Sometimes it's healing from your mental vexations. Sometimes it's just a little bit of encouragement in your soul for him to remind you that you are with you. But I'm saying, friends, let's be generous, Accelerate Church. And I believe that if we are a generous church, that God will pour out a blessing on this church in a way that we couldn't even ask, think, or imagine. And I'm hoping that it, it, it comes in the form of your friends and family coming to meet Jesus where they had their eternal destiny settled, where they recognize that they are sinners in need of the grace of God and tired of doing it on their own, friends. And so I want to encourage you, why don't you accept Jesus today? Why don't you come to know him savingly? Why don't you walk with him so that you can enjoy his presence? Let me pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for your love, your kindness, and your grace given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray that someone will take the next step today. Lord, that they will take the next step, embrace you, know you, and apply these principles to their lives so that they can experience the power of God in their lives. And so, Lord, we love you today. We honor you in Jesus' name. Come on, if you agree with that, why don't you say amen?